Good morning. Greetings in the Master's name. It's good to be here to worship with you again this morning. <clears throat> I'd like to start with a little story. You may have heard me share this before. It was the early 1900s. <clears throat> a gentleman spent his whole life traveling by horse. He went and bought this newfangled gadget called a Model T. It was traversing down the highway, and the thing stopped on him. He was clueless as to what to do about it. He knew nothing of engines and carburetors and spark plugs and what have you, and he was sitting there wondering what to do, and the Model T came past. The gentleman stops, gets out, he's all dressed up, suit and a tie and a vest, and pops the side shield up on this fellow's Model T and makes a few adjustments and said, now crank it, and he cranked it and it fired up. He said, well, thank you, sir. He said, how'd you know how to do that? He said, uh, I'm Henry Ford. So Mr. Ford came by and saved the day. The point is, how did he know how to fix the problem? Well, in essence, he created this thing. He knew everything about it. And when it wasn't working, he had some idea of what should be done to make it work right. Now, who created us? God. And you see, every illustration breaks down. I hope Henry Ford didn't love that Model T unconditionally. And that Model T did not have the ability to respond back to him in love and adoration. But God created, and he loves us. The older I get, the more I'm convinced there's no way we can truly comprehend how much God loves us, how much he cares for us, and how, how much he wants us to respond back to him, that he can pour more of himself into us, and we can become more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But God loves us, and he, everything He has done, everything He's instituted is an, is an expression of His love and His desire to know us and have us know Him and to relate to Him and to have that open relationship. So this morning's message is God's provision of rest. <laughs> I had planned to preach on this before we got our new Sunday school quarterly. And then the new came, and I thought, well, it doesn't matter because in the rotation, I won't be preaching till later in January. But I said, you know what? If whoever does, if Glenn Heatwell does the rotation and he puts me on this Sunday, I just a confirmation, we'll continue to talk about the Sunday school lesson. Well, lo and behold, I got our preaching schedule here two weeks ago, and I was on this morning. So I don't know how it got out of the rotation, but I'm happy to be here. And my goal this morning is not to reteach the lesson, probably won't even go there as a passage of Scripture rather than just in reference. But I've I preached on this in December of 16, and I was going through my sermons back a while. As I mentioned, I was looking for the uh, little section on the history of Sunday school, and I kept picking out sermon notes as I went and thought, this is something that, that I haven't preached on for a long time, and this is the one I had planned to preach on in January. So, so here we are. Uh, like I said, not planning to try to re-preach uh, the Sunday school lesson, but dig in a little deeper to the Old Testament and see what God's plan was, what God's plan is, and how it developed. It's interesting, this, this whole provision of rest was something that started out there at creation, and it, it developed. God kept adding to it as it went through, and of course, it was all looking forward to uh, Jesus Christ, as is everything else in the Old Testament, pointing forward. But I find this interesting. Why did God create, and what is His purpose? Revelation 4 and verse 11 says this, For thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure, for thy pleasure they are and were created. 
So Revelation 4 and verse 11, and this is the, the scene of the throne in heaven and all the four beasts and the four and twenty elders, and everybody is, is bowing at the throne, and they're worshiping God. And, it, and the last verse of that chapter tells us why. Because He is worthy. He is Lord. He is God. And He created us. And He created us because He wants to receive power and honor and glory. And it's for His pleasure that they are. And of all the things that God created, He created mankind in His likeness and His image. And no doubt, He desires the greater adoration from us than from anything else that He created. And that was the purpose in His creation of us. Again, over in Colossians chapter 1, uh, we pick up a very similar, uh, very similar idea, but this time it's talking about Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, and principalities and powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, or he's preeminent over all things, and by him all things consist, or by him all things are held together. So that's the God that we serve. That's the, the Jesus Christ that loves us. And all the righteous requirements of God's Word are for our benefit. I said in Sunday school, and lest I forget to say it, I'll say it again. We need to understand that God's directives from His Word are for our benefit. They're for our blessing. It's not restrictions that we chafe under, but it's blessings that allow us to be all that God wants us to be and to experience all that He wants us to experience in relationship with Him and joy in our lives. So just as God has called us to work and to earn and to provide and to give, and that's what I shared on the last time I shared a message here was on uh, acts of righteousness, uh, praying and giving, etc. So just as God has called us to earn, work, provide, and give, God has called us to rest, to cease, to desist from activity. And there are a lot of benefits to that. First of all, it's for our spiritual benefit to focus on God, to be refreshed. It is for, it's good for our mentality. Burnout? A lot of people are burning out in our society today. Why do we burn out? It's because of just go, 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 the constant drive. And it's good for us physically to come apart and to rest. It's good for our bodies. The founder of Chick-fil-A understood that, and that's the principle in which he founded his business. It was the principle these children had to promise to him before he died that they would carry on if before he would allow them to to buy into his business. There was a time or two where he has uh, violated his principle of being closed on the Lord's Day, but that's when there were disasters in towns where they had restaurants, and he would open up on Sunday and provide free food to all the, the rescue workers who were there providing MDS-type work. So I believe Mr. Kathy has it right. He understands God's purpose. He's going to honor God in what he does. He will violate his commitment of not being open on the Lord's Day if he can assist in a disaster, but he doesn't charge for doing that. So this all started way back in the Garden of Eden. We understand that God came up with the idea of a time or a, a day of rest as he finished the process of creating. We find that in Genesis, the second chapter. 
And thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work he had made, and he rested. The Hebrew word there is he sabbathed. He sabbathed on the seventh day from all the work which he had made. That was before the law. And the word rest here doesn't have any connotation of worship at this point. It means to sit, to, to desist, to cease from activity. It simply means that God ceased from exertion. He ceased from exertion on the seventh day. It means to be still. Psalm says, be still and know that I am God. That's the idea, to be still and to, to know God and to enter in to rest and focus on Him. We go over to the fifth chapter of Exodus. So we jump a long ways. This, this principle is laid out here as a creation principle. And by the way, it is a creation principle just as gender is a creation principle. God created man, male and female created he them. Society is trying to argue with that and causing terrible emotional wrecks of, of people and through this and running their lives. This is a creation principle as well. All right, now we come all the way over to Exodus 5. We don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us whether Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these uh, kept the Sabbath, kept the day of rest. We don't know that. But it is relatively obvious that Pharaoh didn't. So the children of Israel did not have that privilege when they were in bondage there in Egypt. Now, Exodus, the fifth chapter, and this is Moses and Aaron now. They have came back, and they're appealing to Pharaoh to allow the children of Israel to go out and to uh, have a three-day worship service. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And this idea of having feast is something that will grow as we move on through the Old Testament. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Well, who is this person, and why should I care what he thinks? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel grow. go. So we see here a heathen man has no interest in allowing the children of Israel to go out and to worship for three days. And they said, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do Moses and Aaron let the people, or keep them back from their works, get you into your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold the people of the land, there are many, and you make them Sabbath, same word, from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmaster of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no more give the people straw to make brick, as hereunto let them go and gather straw for themselves. So, Moses and Aaron came, and they made an appeal to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, No, I will not allow the children of Israel to cease from exertion. Rest, Sabbath, same word there. I will not let the children of Israel Sabbath, rest from their exertion. Let's keep moving on through here. Let's now go to Exodus 16. 
This is another time where we find the idea of a time of rest. And this is where God had rained down manna. The children of Israel had complained because they didn't think God, they had been, uh, they now had came out of Egypt and they they were going through the desert and they felt that Moses had taken them out there to starve and they complained. And the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they walk in my law or not. So here they came. They were following, they were walking uh, with God, following him in the desert. And God again reminds them of the principle of ceasing from exertion. We'll drop in here at verse 23. And he said to them, That is that which the Lord has said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today, and see that you will see that it will remain and keep it until the next day. I'm going to drop over here. I'm going to switch translations and read it in the NIV. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake, and boil what you want to boil, and save whatever is left, and keep it until morning. Now see, they tried this earlier. They went out and tried to get two days worth, and it didn't work. You've got maggots in it. So they saved until the morning as Moses commanded, not stink or get magnets. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord, and you will not find any on the ground. Six days you are together, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. So God is now reminding the people again of this principle. After he gave the manna, that he would rain down manna six days, the seventh day or there would be none. So on the sixth day, they needed to gather twice as much, and that was the only day they could do that, and it would not spoil. So God is showing his power again. And God is beginning to teach something else here in this, and it continues to develop as we go through here. God is not only teaching people they need to cease from exertion, He is teaching them that they are to depend upon Him to sustain them and meet their needs during the time that they were ceasing from this exertion, and that, that grows as we come into the seventh year and the 49th year, the 50th year, and all of that. All right, let's go over to Exodus chapter 20. And verse 8. <clears throat> but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord to thy God, and it shall thou, thou shalt do no work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. So now God is expanding this, and he's saying, not only are I calling you, my people, to cease from exertion, but your manservants, your maidservants, your cattle, and even the alien that lives within your gates is to cease from exertion. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea, and all that is in it, and rested Sabbath, the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, or he made it holy. And it goes on to the other commandments. So, lest I forget to say this, the concept of rest was for everyone. The privileged people of God, the descendants of Abraham, the servants that they brought in, the aliens who came in and was in their midst, it was for everyone. And you can help me with this if I'm interpreting wrong, but as I see this as it develops, I believe that even their livestock went without on those days. I don't think they sent the, the Midianite slave or whoever out to do their work. 
it seems to me that no one worked on those days. No one. It was for everyone. And I see in this, and other people have seen the same thing, I read their writing, there's an equality before God that's shown here. No one works. You know, we can sometimes make the argument, well, you know, people have always taken care of livestock on Sunday. They've always done this or, or Saturday, etc. Not in this Old Testament setting. I don't see that. It is for everyone. Let's move forward now to Exodus chapter 31. Drop in at verse 12. I'm in the wrong chapter. 31 in verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, now this is, again, reminding them, this is God's giving the law, there's a basin for washing, there's anointing with oil, there's incense, there's work of the priest, etc., etc. And God is just finishing up giving Moses the law in the first set of tablets that end up being broken, and he's just about ready to come down off the mountain to meet the people. This is the last chapter before he comes back down to the golden calf scene. And the Lord speaking to Moses, saying, Speak thou also in the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbath ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. He said, This is a sign for all generations, that you will know that I am the Lord, and I am the one who sets you apart. Sanctified means to be set apart for a sacred, special purpose. And you shall keep the Sabbath there, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from amongst his people. Again, this verse, I believe, verifies the fact that no one in the camp of the Israelites did any work exertion, none whatsoever. The fact is they found someone later gathering sticks, and they inquired of the Lord, and he was stoned. Verse 16, Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for as a perpetual covenant. And this is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And then Moses goes down off of the mount following that. I could read that, but I'm not going to read it. I'll just tell you. People who study, it's in vines, and I didn't bring vines. I forgot to bring that one. But in vines, as you study this, it says in the Hebrew, the word Sabbath has two B's in it, which is equal to in the New Testament where Jesus said, verily, verily. So in other words, the two B's give strong emphasis that it is sure and without question. God wanted his people to cease from exertion and to focus on him. All right, Exodus 35. And Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words that the Lord hath commanded you should do unto them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be unto you a holy day, a Sabbath of rest unto the Lord. Whosoever doeth work therein shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your inhabitations on the Sabbath day. And he goes on to say, you can't even build a fire. You can't 
And they said earlier, he said, whatever manna that you want for the Sabbath, when you bring it in on Friday, boil it, bake it, whatever. Someone said that uh, Mrs. Moses probably had a thousand different recipes on how to make manna because that's all they had. He said, however you make your manna, make it on Friday because you're not even allowed to build a fire to boil or bake it on the Sabbath day. All right, let's move over to Leviticus. Leviticus, the 16th chapter. Alan mentioned the feast this morning. Now we're starting to getting into this. God had more than just 52 days in the year that He wanted His people to focus on Him. So Leviticus 16 and drop in at verse 29. And this shall be a statue forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. So here he's saying again, whether it's you, one of your countrymen, or an alien that's sojourning with you. And on that day shall the priest make atonement for you and cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and you shall afflict your souls, or you shall do without by a statue forever. So this is not on the seventh day. This is on the tenth day of the month. So here God is beginning to add more days of worship and focus on Him. Fact is, until it's all said and done, people believe that there were an additional 20 or 22 days that annually the children of Israel were to cease from exertion and to focus on God. So if you have 52 and 20, you're at 70, and then you're, you're at God's number. So God had somewhere around 70 days out of the year that He wanted His people just to focus on Him. Now let's go to... Oh, yes, and the last one I read in Exodus 35, I missed this. That was after God had given them the instructions on how to build the tabernacle, and then he reminded them to keep the seventh day, even while they were building the tabernacle. Now, Leviticus 23 is the first indication of assembly, as Alan had already mentioned this morning. So we're already down to Leviticus 23 before we notice that God is giving them instructions to actually assemble uh, collectively to focus on Him during the day where they cease from exertion. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Convocations and assemblies, same thing. Even these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is a Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So he's saying, it doesn't matter where you live as you travel. This is what I'm calling you to do. And then he goes on to talk about the 14th day of the first month. There's another one, et cetera, et cetera. Leviticus 23 and verse 9. And the Lord spake to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and saying to them, When ye come into the land which I give unto you, you shall reap a harvest thereof, and you shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest, and you shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath the priest shall wave it. Did you catch that? On the morrow after the Sabbath. He's adding another element here that continues into 
the new covenant. It's the feast of the first fruits. Who became the first fruits of them that slept? Anyone? Christ. You see, the feast of the first fruits is looking forward to the resurrection. And he's saying on the first day of the week, or the eighth day, it depends how you look at it. Sometimes the scripture referred to it as the eighth day, sometimes the first day. The eighth day is a day of new beginnings, symbolic of that. It was on the eighth day that the children of Israel came up out of the Red Sea, and the army of Egypt was drowned. It was on the eighth day, or the first day of the week, early in the morning, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the sepulcher. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day or the eighth day, depending on how you look at it, the first fruits. So people ask, well, why do we meet on the first day of the week? Here we have it. All this was pointing forwards to Jesus Christ, and we'll continue <clears throat> to develop that. So the feast of first fruits, and then we come to the feast of weeks, and as Alan already talked about, is it, would you say it was seven feasts, I believe, that, that encompassed it at least 22 days a year that they were in addition to their 52 Sabbaths. So God is continuing to build on this, and I'll read verse 14 yet. You must not eat any bread or roast any new grain until the day you bring this offering to the Lord your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come wherever you live. See, he's saying when you go out and harvest, you're not allowed to roast any of your grain. You're not allowed to even taste of the new fruit of the new harvest until you have given the Lord the first fruits. God gets what is first. You get what comes next. So we meet on the first day of the week. He goes on to talk about how they are to leave the edges of their field, et cetera, et cetera, for the alien and the stranger. Let's go over to chapter 25 now of Leviticus. God continues to build. You see, in, in Genesis, we don't read anything about these assemblies. We just, God just says he rested, and, and he called the patriarchs to a day of rest. And he continues to add new things as he builds on the idea of a Sabbath day, a Sabbath week, a Sabbath year. And now we're at chapter 25 of Leviticus, and we're looking at the Sabbath year. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the Mount Sinai, saying, Speaking to the children of Israel, and saying to them, When you come into the land which I give you, you shall reap the land, ye shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather fruit thereof. But in the seventh year it shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. And that which groweth of it own accord, and thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of the vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the Lord. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you and for thee and for thy servant, for thy maid and for thy hired servant, and for the stranger that sojourneth in the land with thee. So he's saying, every seventh year you cease from the exertion of sowing and reaping. And then he builds on that. Verse 8, And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of the years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of seven Sabbath years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. So every 49th year then was a special year of what was called the year of Jubilee. And thou shalt cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. And you shall make the trumpet sound through all the land, and you shall hallow the fiftieth year. 
So the 49th year is hallow, and the 50th year also to proclaim liberty through all the land and the inhabitants thereof shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man to his possession, and you shall return every man into his family. So all the Israelites who had grown poor and had hired themselves out as, as slaves or laborers to fellow Israelites went free. They went back home. They were set free. Every Israelite who became poor and sold his real estate to another man who was better off, that land reverted back to the original family, the 49th year. And then the 50th year, in the, well, in the 50th year it reverted back. The 49th year they let the land lay fallow, of course, and in the 50th year it went back to the original owners. Why was God doing this? Why did God do this? Verse 18, Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and you shall dwell in the land in safety, and the land shall yield her fruit, and ye shall eat your fill and dwell therein in safety. And he's saying, if you don't trust me, if you don't think this is going to work out, verse 20, and if ye shall say, what shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our crease, then I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years. He's saying, if you follow my directives in this, I will bless your crop so much in the sixth year that it will be good for three years, and you shall sow the eighth year. See, the seventh year they didn't sow anything. You shall sow the eighth year and eat of old fruit until the ninth year until her fruits come in, and you shall eat of the new store. So God is saying, if you'll follow my directives, I will bless your sixth-year crop so much that you won't even have to depend on the eighth year. It'll take you all the way to the ninth year if you'll simply follow my decrees. And he goes on to talk about other directives. So what was God doing here? I believe that God is teaching his people trust. He's teaching us that we can rest in Him, that He will meet our needs. See, it doesn't make sense if you're a farmer to just go out one year out of seven and not plant anything. What are we going to do? You see, a lot of people decided it doesn't make sense anymore to have your business closed 14% of the time, which is one day out of seven. But it's been proven over and over that the people who trust God are blessed and they have enough, and they have abundance. I'm amazed every time I drive through Harrisonburg, <laughs> all the lines of people are lining up at the one restaurant that's still closed on Sunday, and Jimmy John's might have one or two customers in the parking lot right next door to it. And personally, I don't really know that uh, Chick-fil-A's food's that much better than anybody else's. <laughs> I think it's just God's blessing. Somebody honored God? God said, I'll show the whole world what happens when you honor me. Yeah. So God is saying, trust me. If you'll trust me in this, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven, and you will be blessed. I won't turn to this. I'll ask you a question. Do you know the basis upon which God decided how many years the children of Israel would live in exile in Babylon? God used a measuring rod to decide how many years they'd be down there. Anybody tell me what it is? What do you think? Nathan, you know. That's right. God said, and I've, I tried to figure it up. Was it 49 years or 490? I don't know. But for some period of time, 
the children of Israel had said, we're not going to keep the Sabbaths. We're going to sow our crops seven years after seven years after seven years. And God said, I'm going to take you away into captivity, and your land at home is going to lay fallow until it recompenses every year that you, that you failed to observe. So was this important to God? Yes. Seventy years of exile, God said, when it's up, I'll bring you back. But only until your ground enjoys its Sabbath, years of rest that you chose not to give to it. Let's go to Luke 4. In verse 16, Jesus, and he came up to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He just came back from being tempted. He says, as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day to read. And as we already discussed on our, in our messages on God's Word on alcohol, Jesus was operating in the Old Covenant at that point in time. The New Covenant's instituted fully at Pentecost. So Jesus went in on the Sabbath day and worshiped. So we notice Jesus kept the Sabbath. Jesus worshiped on the Sabbath day repeatedly. In fact, as we see uh, some of the apostles doing the same thing, uh, moving on, going up towards the day of Pentecost. Verse 31. And he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. Again, this is talking about Jesus. So Jesus' ministry, he brought people back to God's original intention. He did that Sermon on the Mount, marriage and divorce. He did that on returning good for evil, on and on. Jesus did not lower a standard. He would raise the standard by bringing it back to God's original intention. And see, in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to rest. And in the Israelites' mind, after they came out of Egypt, and as they traveled through this wilderness, the land of Canaan was their goal. They were looking for that rest in the land of Canaan. You see, Israel is symbolic of sin in this world system. Egypt was 24-7, 365, production and consumption. And as God led his people through the desert and out in, in route to Cana, the land of rest, he reestablished this principle of rest and worship. The Ten, ten Commandments were given uh, during that time, and, and God continued to, to build on that. And the idea of the first fruits of resurrection and the eighth day and all that comes in to this. So the interesting thing is that, let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. The interesting thing is that even rest in Canaan was symbolic of something better yet to come. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. And again, I'm going to read this from the NIV because if I don't, I'm just going to be cross-referencing the whole time. 
Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Now, now we're all the way into the New Testament, and we're still talking about a promise of rest. Well, but we thought the land of Canaan was the place of rest. For we have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. And now we have delivered, have, we who have believed enter that rest just as God said, so I declare in my oath and my anger they shall never enter my rest. Yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work, and again in the passage above he says, they shall never enter into my rest. It still remains that some will enter into that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again at a certain day, calling it today, when a a long time later, he spoke through David, said before, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And now, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest. Now, if you have old King James, it says, if Jesus had given them rest. If you have new King James, it says, if Joshua had given them rest. But even the footnote on the King James says, Joshua. You see, Jesus is the Greek variant of the Hebrew word, Joshua. So what it's saying is, who brought the children of Israel into the land of Canaan? Moses didn't. Moses is a type of the law. He wasn't allowed to go in. But Joshua, the type of Jesus Christ, led the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. But he said, if Joshua's rest was good enough, God would not have spoken about a later day another rest. Because there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also has rest from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that none will fall by following their example of disobedience. And he goes on to talk about the Word of God and in Jesus the great high priest. So what is this passage telling us? I believe it's telling us that even though Joshua led the children of Israel, God's people, into what they envisioned to be a land of rest in milk and honey, Canaan, it was still just a shadow of, of the real rest that was to come, and that only comes through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Only through him do we enter into that rest. All right, what rest do we experience in Jesus Christ? Jesus said in Matthew, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's interesting. This word rest here... You see, the, the rest, the Sabbath rest, was to cease. But the word translated rest that Jesus gives us is not only a ceasing from exertion, but it is being restored. It's being made whole again. It's, it brings healing to us. It restores the burnout process. It, it brings us back into feeling fulfilled and full and complete in Him. Take upon you, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find restoration for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Talking about Jesus' ministry in Mark 6, he said to them, Come yourselves apart into a desert place and rest for a while, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. So even Jesus in his ministry would, would go out away from the crowds to be reconnected with God through prayer and, and meditation with God. 
but we're looking forward to eternal rest, and that is Revelation 14. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So none of us will reach complete rest in this life, but we reach our spiritual rest in Christ Jesus now. We still exert ourselves. We still need to work. We still need to provide. We still go about our physical activity. But God calls us to come apart from that. His creation principle is we are to come apart from that 14% of the time, one day out of seven, and focus on God, focus on worship, focus on being restored and brought back into fullness in Him. I read a little bit from this book uh, by Bender. He's talking about the difference. So why do we worship on the first day of the week? Why well, do you mention that? Jesus is the first fruits. We could go to the sixth chapter of Romans. And it says, if we die with him, then we also live with him. And we are the first fruits. There's passages we could look up there, but I won't for the sake of time. So we identify with Jesus Christ in his resurrection. We identify with him in his death. We identify with him then in his resurrection. We worship on the first day of the week. The apostles worshiped on the first day of the week. The early church worshiped on the first day of the week. In essence, it is a celebration of our birthday, the way I look at it, to simplify it, our new birth. The first day of the week is a commemoration of the resurrection, so a commemoration of our new birth. So we come apart and worship on that day. The day of rest had its beginning at creation. God rested on the seventh day. The principle of six days for labor and one for rest is established for the good of man according to Jesus. And that was our Sunday school lesson day. I'm not going to go there. He said Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I'm back to where we started. God institutes what's best for us. And we do ourselves a favor to enjoy what he's instituted for us rather than to reject it. We see something of the plan and purpose of God in the passage such as in Colossians says, Let no man judge you in meat or drink or in respect to holy day or new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. And what he's saying is, no, we do not go in the New Testament and find specific details on how to live out the first day. We don't find specific details. But we do find references back again and again that the followers of Jesus Christ ceased from exertion and focused a day of worship. But the body of Christ. A look at the shadow mentioned here in a good study of types shows us that to relate to the Sabbath will show us the plan and purpose of God concerning the Sabbath day. It will also reveal the very reason the Holy Ghost did not give commandment concerning Sabbath in the New Testament. Colossians 2.17 says the Sabbath was a shadow of things to come. We have already said that the shadow here are signified that six days speak of man's labor under the law, and the seventh was a day of grace. The coming of the Savior and the gospel salvation, plan of salvation, there is rest in Jesus Christ which believers now have. The words of Paul then tell us that the law concerning the Sabbath has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. However, the principles given by God from creation and confirmed by Jesus Christ, that man should work six days and set one aside for rest, has not been put away. Under the new covenant, man's labor of service is not according to the law. And I, I appreciate that, that, that emphasis. It's not a law. It's not where we're going to get stoned if we don't do it. 
But under the new covenant, man's labor and service is according to grace. It is an act of love. It is an act of love. We're under grace. Now notice how he develops this. I like that. Neither is the day intended to be enforced under the penalty of death as it was in the law, but is a voluntary service a free will gift of love. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It is out of our love, our adoration, our appreciation of what God has instituted for us that we find a joy in coming apart from exertion and to worship Him and to be refreshed in our walk with Him. The rest of salvation is symbolized by a day of rest and worship followed by six days of service. A rest of sin is symbolized by the Sabbath has now come and, no, and now service comes after rest. So what he's saying is, in the Old Testament, they kind of live like I did for most of my life. Work, 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 slide in, rest up on the seventh day, do it all over again. But what Mr. Bender is saying, not Mr. Bender, Mr. Byler, and I like the way he interprets this, I'm not saying it's exactly the way it is, but it makes sense to me, that we give God the first fruits. Just as the children of Israel were not allowed to partake of the first fruits until they gave some to God, we give God the first day of the week. We give God the best of what we have. And we give Him what is best, and then we enjoy the rest of what's left over. So, Old Covenant, six days of labor, a day of rest. New Covenant, a day of adoration and worship and refreshment, so, uh, focusing on God, coming apart from exertion, followed by six days of serving joyfully under grace. Men who do not give the Lord one day out of seven are testifying that they are in bondage to the old world system and not in a love service to Jesus Christ. God calls us to pull back from the 24-7 rat race and to be blessed by walking with Him and to be blessed by adoring Him and saying, thank you, God. You created us. You know what blesses us, and you want us to enter into fellowship with you. And He created us to be that way. And there's a whole lot here I'm just going to skip over. The Roman, the Roman Empire had 5,353 holidays, and it still fell apart. <clears throat> they were trying to find the wrong kind of refreshment. Rest minus God. If our leisure causes us to compromise the standards for God's people, and if our leisure causes us to be more, more like the unsaved and less conformed to the image of Christ, it will cause leanness of soul and spirit, and that is the exact opposite of what God intended. But if our rest is focused on God, and we pursue closeness with God, and spiritual restoration, it draws us closer to the Creator, and I believe Isaiah 40, the last three verses, will tell us the effect that we'll have in our lives. <clears throat> he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Praise God for His provision to meet our needs spiritually, mentally, and physically. Let's have a song.